Before we begin, and before I forget, let us take a moment to pay homage to the Glorious One, the Magnificent One, He who is the paragon of virtue, the epitome of wisdom, abundance of compassion, and the source of everything that is good in and around us. Let us take a moment to pay homage to the supremely enlightened one, the Lord Buddha. Namo tasse bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasse Namo tasse bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasse Namo tasse bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasse I have a few questions today. I think that's an essay question. I thought you'd be brief in your question. Look at that. That's your question. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Do you recall that, I think, a week before... Or was it the week before that? I can't remember now exactly. I explained to you that the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha are really things that we ought to do. This is a practice, Pratipada. The Buddha, although we have a statue today which represents who, within air quotes, who he was, and these are all later additions to religion. Now, I've got to be careful with some of the things I say. So, but I'll say it nonetheless. Just keep quiet about it. <laughs> okay. Only among friends and family. So, you know, at the start, we also pay homage to the Buddha, right? Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. This is also the same. We say we pay, we pay homage to the Buddha. In fact, what we're saying is, I make a resolve To incline myself, that is namo. I'll borrow the singular term, just for most of you will be able to understand. Namano is to bend or incline myself, to bend myself towards. Bhagava is a, is a virtue. It is the ability to analyze things to break things down and for the purpose of reflection. We understand that there are things that seem compounded. 
But once you start splitting it up, analyzing it, now you get to the root of it. The root is ignorance and attachment. Sang. That is what sang means. So sangma is to do away with ignorance and attachment and then become Buddha, one who has eradicated suffering. So you see, Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa is what you've been trying to do right from the first day you got here. That's why the Buddha is not someone who went around saying, worship me, pay homage to me. He was simply, he simply resembled, he simply represented Nibbana. What we believe today and see and understand today as he, these two letters, is really a practice. The further you the more you further your practice, the more you begin to realize these things. That there aren't really individuals here who want you to do things. All there is, is the truth. All there is, is the path. The path to get you to the truth. is just that. So I lean myself, I incline myself to the practice See, I'm, say, I'm sharing this with you now so that you can do it with understanding. Okay? You learn lots of, you learn lots of merits, even, even if you think that you're actually paying homage to an individual. Because the Buddha represents an infinite quantity of virtue. So even if you think of the Buddha as, you know, he was a good guy, right? Even that is enough. Because we all have different levels of understanding. And that is very natural, you know, even in a classroom. Now the same teacher will have pupils who will have different levels of understanding, right? Those of you who have been teachers, who have taken classes, you'll understand what I mean. So the same math problem you teach to your class, each student will have a different capacity, a different level to which they'll comprehend it. That's a very natural thing. And the Buddha's Dhamma is just the same. We know, yes, last week we spoke about the mosquito in the room. Some people might have thought that actually we are talking about a real mosquito. It's, you'd be surprised. It's quite possible. It is quite possible. And then some people will have thought that, you know, we are talking about the actual mosquito bite and how that hurts and how that's painful and you know, we need to do something about that. Others will have thought, there must be something to do with suffering here. You know, a mosquito bite is painful, so he's using a metaphor here or a, or a simile here. So he's, he's trying to say that, you know, there is suffering in this world, just like when a mosquito bites you, so you need to do something about it. Right? So, you know, loss of loved ones, right? Having to associate people you don't like, things and instances, things you don't like. You know, these things are... They cause suffering. So that is probably what he said. And others will have probably understood what I was actually trying to say. So there are different levels of understanding and it's very natural. Don't stress yourself out thinking, oh, I didn't get it. No, you all got it. 
We are all on this parahara. It's a procession. Right? We all start somewhere and we're all getting somewhere. Okay? So the amount you get depends on where you are on this procession. But you're all getting to the same place. We're all getting to the same place. I can't say that I understand the Dhamma. I understood the Dhamma yesterday as well as I do today. Only last week I went to Guru Handra and I said, Guru Handra, I'm not sure I'm practicing enough. What should I do? See, you think you're practicing enough. Right? I have my reservations. <laughs> I went up to him and said, I'm, I don't feel I'm doing enough. Right? Will you take responsibility for my Nibbana? I asked him. He said, no, I can't do that. So he said, then I asked him, well, what am I, am I doing enough? How will I know if I'm doing enough? Now, these are questions to which I'll have given you answers previously. Right? But I still have these questions. And the good fortune I have is a teacher who I can always go and bother. I pay for him for his services. Right? So if I'm paying for his services, then he better do his job properly. As I tell him oftentimes, you know, I am clearly more meritorious than you are, Guru Hanuru, because when I have a problem, I have someone to go and ask. Look at you. <laughs> I got everything you've got and then some. Yeah? Whereas you have everything I've got, but except one. So that's the way it works. And I think the reason that I've been so fortunate to receive this precious gift is because only, there's only one reason ever. If you've got something, what's the reason? You've given it, absolutely. You've given it. You've given it in the past. You're giving it right now. Whatever you give, you get. There's only one way to get, and that's the only way to get is to give. Good or bad. Your misery in life make other people's lives miserable. You want to be angry all the time? Go make other people angry. Simple as. Simple as. It's the simplest way I can present this philosophy. I had the good fortune of doing a talk yesterday to a small group of people, and that's what I said right at the end. You know, I can't talk to them about attachment and jati and how all this, you know, dependent origination. I was a bit too much for them because, you know, they were new to the Dhamma. But I left them with this simple philosophy. You want to know how I'm happy today? You're all here because you want to be happy is the question I ask them. But you all seem to be doing lots of different things to achieve that happiness. Right? That, that sounds from, coming from me, that sounds like a broken record, right? I'm always going on about happiness. Yeah? But ultimately, that's the essence of what we're all after. If you don't achieve happiness from doing something, why bother doing it? That's why I'm always going on about it. And everyone understands that. Very simple, isn't it? So I don't start a lesson uh, talking about Dhabidham. I always start a talk asking about what are you here for? What did you wake up in the morning for? Why did you have your breakfast? Hmm? Why did you go see your friends? Why did you ring your mother? Why did you go this place, that place, the other place? And there's always a resounding common answer. I did it because it makes me happy. And then you have to ask the question, did it really? I want to talk to you a little bit about that as well, once we've gotten through some of these questions. So, 
Two? Uh, what was the question again? I can't remember now. Uh, oh, yes, okay. Guru So I asked him, uh, am I doing enough? And he said, uh, he said, continue with your practice. And he said, check from time to time if your virtues, your um, let's say what would be a good word for samadhi I don't want to say it's concentration because it's not what it is sila samadhi panya can I use those terms for now panya is wisdom, sila is virtue but I'm not sure I've gotten a word for samadhi yet because it is not concentration um, say the uh, the power to reflect the ability to reflect maybe let's Go with something like that. So he said, check yourself uh, from time to time and see if your uh, if your level of sila, samadhi and panya, they are on the decline. And if they are, then you can come and talk to me. If not, just carry on with your practice and don't come bother me again. That's what he said. He said, I'll t- I can do the first one, I said, but not the next, not the, ne- not the last one. Be back in a few months. <laughs> and uh, and I said uh, I said to him, you know, Guru Handru, I've always enjoyed in my life the presence of a teacher. I've been so fortunate that way. Oh boy, I've been so fortunate that way. You know, even from my school days, I've always had the good fortune of having some wonderful teachers. I am who I am because of them. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely none. Parents and teachers. And then when I started work, I found a fantastic mentor. So he was not my boss, but he was my mentor. And he taught me most of things, most of the things I know today about living a good and decent life as, you know, as a knowledgeable person in worldly affairs. He obviously didn't know anything about Nibbana. But a lot of the tricks, techniques, principles that I use today to manage this organization of about 200 people we are right now. And the number is steadily growing. I don't know why you can't be at home. (laughs) What's wrong there? Keep coming here. Don't know why. Isn't the food all right there at home? Uh, Here we only give you rice and curry. No pastas and spaghettis and bolognese. You don't get all that stuff. You don't know why you're coming here. So, uh, you know, those principles that they have to use to manage an organization of this size, those things I learned from my mentor. I didn't know why I was learning then. Now I do. Had I known, I'd have learned even more. The first book he gave me was a book titled Eat That Frog. I can recommend it to anyone who is in the habit of procrastination. It's a good book by a chap called Brian Tracy. Did you come here for Nibbana? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Wrong class. <laughs> These are some of the things we teach in the leadership program at the monastery. Each of our high ordained monks, they qualify for it. And we teach them leadership stuff. Good stuff. It's all good stuff if your objective and purpose are headed in the right direction. If you've got your bearing straight, then it's all good stuff. You know, what, what, about, what do you think about manipulation? Is that a bad thing? Depends. All depends. 
Depends. Depends what you want to manipulate. If you want to manipulate someone towards for their own salvation, for their own for their own I beg your pardon, for their own good, do it all you like. If you want to manipulate someone for your own good and not for theirs, then it's vicious. Best avoid it. Parents manipulate children all the time, don't they? You're masters of manipulation. Hmm? Remember what he what he said when he came and asked for that bike? Or asked for computer time, TV screen time? Hmm? You know what I'm talking about. And so do you. That's called the art of manipulation, Puta. Don't fall for it. <laughs> Just keep making your demands. Tell them, I want to go to the monastery. Yeah, we've got a plan for you guys as well very soon. Okay. It's coming up. Where was I? Guru Handro. Yeah, so uh, that was the advice I got from him. But uh, I'll be seeing him again in a few weeks' time. So I was talking about Namotasa. Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa is, is affirming your practice. That is what it is. It is not a person that we pay homage to, pay respect to, because that person is no longer among us. So what good can he do? Yes, Namotasa. This it's, it's a practice. It's not a person. So the Buddha is not, you know, in the sky, among the stars, looking at us. Although that is some, you know, one of those things that, they, that our parents used to manipulate us. My mother said, don't do bad things because Buddha will be angry with you. I said, <laughs> I've heard him do, you know, all sorts of miracles. And if he gets angry with me, boy, I don't want to get on the wrong side of Buddha. Is <laughs> what I used to think growing up. But, you know, they were just tactful devices that were used to keep me on the straight and narrow. But the Buddha is not a person, is what I want you to, you know, understand as we go further and further into our practice. It's not, he's not a person. He was, he was mind and body, just as much as you are. But a superior mind at that. Superior in virtue. Superior in wisdom. And superior in this thing that I don't have a word for yet, Samadhi. He was superior in those three things. That superiority is something we can all aspire to. So he was not this kind of entity that who is unreachable. You know, he said, if you want to be a Buddha, you can all be Buddhas. He didn't consider himself to be someone who was unreachable, you know, someone who was who you could never aspire to become. But at the same time, what he also said was, you don't have to be a supreme Buddha. If what you want is freedom, then freedom can be attained at three states. You can become an Arahatta Buddha, which is where most of us are heading. You can become a Pacheka Buddha, also called a silent Buddha. Some, most of you will know why and also a, sub, a Supreme Buddha. So there are three types of Buddhas you can aspire to become. In some teachings of Buddhism, they only believe in one type of Buddha, of Buddha that is the Supreme Buddha. So, but a Supreme Buddha only comes you know, once in a very long time. So it will be a long time before everyone 
can become supreme buddhas but in the era of one supreme buddha you can have lots and lots and lots of arahat buddhas all the stories the great elders most of the stories you'll have heard from dasanandru right so they're they're about arahat buddhas those who were able to free their minds from defilements simple as that that's all you need to become to need to do to become a buddha and to aspire to that is what we affirm to when we say namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddha so that's why i broke it down so they can you understand exactly what it means namo tassa means to lean towards to bend towards this path of bhagavata bhagava is to analyze to split up to open and see to understand the constitution of something constitution of what do you think we are trying to understand sri lanka Hmm? No, we are trying to understand the constitution of suffering, aren't we? How jati comes into being. What's the word for samadhi? No, tranquility. Uh, maybe close, but not. No. Does anyone have a word for it? Blissful peace. Not quite there. <laughs> I think the gentleman just did. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll try and find one. Put that for homework for you, okay? You're not coming to the sermon next week without having found a word for that. <laughs> so Bhagavato is that. What we're trying to do through these sermons is really to understand how this suffering comes into being aren't we we are trying to take something realize reflect on something first you know catch the mosquito so first you have to spot the mosquito right and then you have to uh, first you know see it then catch it and then zap it right so we are trying to analyze this these thoughts that we have the feelings that we have the emotions that we go through why do we feel anger you know this is a lesson on the analysis of anger this is not anger management class this is anger analysis class because once you analyze you begin to see the root causes once you've identified the root causes now you can do something about it until you have understood the root causes nothing's going to happen this is not lust or desire management class it's not a class where we teach you if you have lustful thoughts then look look away and walk away this is not that class this class is about if you have lust okay first understand that it is lust then analyze it look at how it came into being and then you realize actually lust is not the problem you'd be surprised you know anger is not a problem anger is your friend i'll explain what i mean by that in a bit anger is your friend desirous thoughts these are your friends resentful thoughts these are your friends even thoughts like you know nervousness and anxiousness these are all friends although we think that these are our enemies they're not symptoms are friends they tell you about the underlying problem you need to learn to look at things that way otherwise most of the time what people they're fighting the wrong battle they're fighting the wrong battle people they try to you see look at it just just have, think about what i'm saying right anger management class it's the wrong business to be in 
There's no point in trying to manage anger. Now, this will come as an absurd proposition. I, I understand that because, you know, people invest and spend millions on this kind of thing out there. And, you know, to hear me say, there's no point in anger management, that will sound like blasphemy to people. Right? They might shut this channel down in, by next week. Because, you know, this is, people make a living out of this stuff, right? So um, let me put a caveat around all these things I'm saying. This is only for people who are interested in Nibbana. If you're interested in Nibbana, then anger management is not the route to be going down. Anger eradication is something completely different. You can't get rid of anger unless you've looked at the root causes and dealt with them. The root cause is not anger. Anger is simply a manifestation of a much deeper problem. That is what we are trying to talk about. That is the mosquito. Anger is like, uh, uh, like the bumps that you feel on your arms and your legs and your body when a mosquito bites you. It's that sting that you sense when, when you get that mosquito bite. It's the itch that you get. It's the allergic reaction. Histamine doing its job there. That's, that's anger. That's lust. These are not your enemies. These are your friends because they tell you you have a problem. Tell me about, answer this question. Hunger. You all have experienced hunger. You feeling hungry right now? No? No? Okay, good. Did you have breakfast? Excellent, right. Hunger. Do you think it's a bad thing or do you think it's a good thing? The feeling, the sensation of hunger. It's a good thing. Because it is your body's way of telling you something, isn't it? Your body is telling you, do something or somebody going to get hurt. <laughs> I borrowed that from Russell Peters. Right? So do something about it. Anger is your, is your body's defense mechanism. If you try to twist your arm the wrong way, what are you going to feel? Pain. Good thing or bad thing? <laughs> You've got to be grateful that there are pain sensors in your body. That you can sense pain because that stops from parts of your body breaking down. Isn't that right? Uh, you know, a snake bites you. And you can, you, can, you know, you feel the, the pain of the, of the fangs going into your body and that, you know, it, it's really painful. Good thing or bad thing? Good thing because now you can do something about it. You can run to Vedamahatya and get some medicine from him. You know what I'm talking about? Yes? If you read the book, then you know. If you don't, then you don't know. Read the book. Which book? I can't tell you that. <laughs> so, these things, they are good things. I want you to start seeing anger as your friend. The different, this, is a, this is a completely different class, isn't it? I want you to see anger as your friend. Anger is not your enemy. Last week we talked about some of those feelings that you might get from time to time. You know, you need to be able to do something about it. What I'm saying is, first of all, acknowledge them. Acknowledge them because they're not the problem. They're simply here to tell you something is really bad. Do something about it. This is like the smoke. Smoke is good, isn't it? That's why you have a smoke detector. If there's a fire, yeah, you'd be lucky if there's smoke. Imagine a fire, but no smoke. Now the whole place is going to burn down, and you won't know. 
until everything's burned down and you know irrecoverable. So smoke is good. Bhagavato is that. We take these feelings, emotions, things that don't feel pleasant to us. We break them down. In fact, we break down everything, even the pleasurable feeling. We break it down so that we can really ask ourselves the question, what is it really? What is the truth? You know, if something feels good, like, say, you get this really nice feeling about, it's a physical feeling, let's say it's a really good feeling, but that's the way you feel when you're starting to get a cancer. What do you think about that? Hmm? Would you like that? Would you, would you, do you want to say, oh no, that, that's such a good feeling, I want, I want to keep it, I want to enjoy that. Or would you not rather analyze it? See how it's going on. If it's something benign, then let it be. But what if it's not? What if it's something malignant? Then you want to get to the root of it and start dealing with it. So just because something feels good doesn't necessarily mean it's good. That's why it's not just because someone appears to be a good friend doesn't necessarily mean they're a good friend. Just because someone seems like they're a bad person doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad person. You've got to take the time. As I say, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Right? Just because something seems apparent on the outside. We can't, you know, it's too much of a risk just to accept it at face value. I want you all to be analytical people. Analyze everything that's going on. Not so that you can sound smart, you know, it's not like, you know, oh, do you know how the plants rotate around each other and go around? I know, I have analyzed it, I'm going to talk to you about it. No, 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 this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about let's understand what's going on here. Because that's the thing we least understand, don't we? We spend our lifetimes trying to understand everything that goes on around here. You, know, you can tell me how that air conditioner works, you'll tell me how that fan works, you'll tell me how the markers work, how this works, how that works, how everything, how this voice record, you know. Can you believe in something so small they can record like so many hours of audio and they can store many gigabytes of files in something so small? Right? There'll be plenty of books written on this subject. But why do you get angry? <laughs> They'll write a book to say, when you get angry, this is how you're going to have to manage it. But there'll be very few books or talks on how do you stop feeling, how do you stop getting angry in the first place. Because anger is simply the smoke of the fire. It's not about putting out the smoke. It's called putting out the fire. They don't have smoke extinguishers. They have fire extinguishers. In this business, that's what we deal with. So Bhagavato is that. Analyze. Slice it up. Split it up. Look at it. Don't ever accept anything at face value. Always take the time. You know, do yourself justice. Be right by yourself. Right? Take the time to analyze. See what's really going on. And then you're going to understand that something's not right. That's when you get to sang ma ditti. Sang ma ditti. The Noble Eightfold Path. The Noble Eightfold Path starts with what they call right view. I'm not a fan of that term, but it's the best we've got. Right view. Sang ma ditti. You begin to understand that 
as soon as you began to analyze this, you began to understand, you began to realize that ignorance and attachment are at the root of this. That is sound. So once you've understood that, the next thing you ought to do is to rid that, extinguish that, exterminate that. Samma. So we call him Samma Sambuddha. Actually, it's not him we call Samma Sambuddha. That's the thing. That's the point here. So, you know, even the word Supreme Buddha, Samma Sambuddha is Supreme Buddha, right? The word Supreme does not really cut it. Because when you, when you hear the word Supreme, the feeling that you get is someone, you know, quite superior, is, is the top. That is not what Samma Sambuddha means. It is not about supremacy. That is not what this is about. Yes, conventionally the Buddha is supreme. But, you know, for those of you who are interested in Nibbana, there is a meaning that transcends that. And you, as regular practitioners of the Dhamma, now you need to begin to understand some of these concepts and get to grips with it. So you can start really reflecting. One of the questions that we got last week, which I asked you to Put up here, it was, you know, once you understood this, what are you supposed to do? So we're going to talk about that. Once you've understood this, what are you supposed to do? It's only if you're, if you're ready to do it, do I need to talk to you about these things. Otherwise, I can just tell you, you know, be good people. Be nice to everyone. Love thy neighbor. And hopefully you'll get their daughter. Right? So, but, but you know, once you've realized that all sentient beings are in a state of suffering. You know, if you're in a state of suffering, the next door neighbor is in a state of suffering, then what interest do you have in getting her daughter? He saw her daughter, right? She's also suffering. And the guy next door, he's also suffering. They're all suffering. We're all suffering here together. So the point of existence should be to really free ourselves from that very existence. That should be the point of existence, to free ourselves from this very existence. Now, therefore, whenever you chant Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa, I want you to reflect on this. When you do that, it goes beyond a meritorious deed to what you call a kusala, which is an act of cleansing the mind of defilements. Every time you reflect and realize and recognize that ignorance and attachment are at play here, ignorance, after all, is blindness to ignorance. Can you see that? Ignorance is blindness to ignorance. Wisdom is knowing what ignorance is. That's why when the Buddha attained Buddhahood, his first words were, I have seen what ignorance is. It is because I was ignorant, thus far I have not been able to see what ignorance is and the things that it does and the suffering that it creates. When asked, what is it that causes suffering, the Buddha takes you on a path and says, avidya pachya sankara. He takes you all the way back to avidya, which is ignorance. So what was ignorance all along then? (laughs) It's funny, isn't it? Not knowing that it was ignorance. The great elder Sariputta is asked the question, katamacha uso avidya. Venerable Sariputta, what is avidya? And the Venerable Sariputta replies, dukkhe agnana, dukkha samudhe agnana. This is avijja. That was in Pali. 
not understanding dukkha not understanding the cause of dukkha what is the cause of dukkha though attachment which is a product of ignorance so not understanding ignorance and attachment is ignorance it's a, it's sort of like a counterintuitive argument but it is the way it is it's like when you open the box you really there's an there's an instruction in there how to open the box <laughs> so then your answer, your question will be so how do you open the box then kind of like a catch 22 isn't it and you you heard of the chicken who wanted to cross the road and to learn how to cross the road there was a school that he could go to but the school on how to learn to cross the road what is a cross the road yeah that's a catch 22 understanding this dhamma is in 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 some ways really a catch 22 you got to know it to do it but you got to do it to know it so how do you work out this how do you get out of this maze ah now that's where merit comes in i'm answering the question i told you this is you know what you asked me last week as i concluded the sermon after we'd done the merit transfer and all that i said the the question that the gentleman asked me the answer to that is this is the sambuddha sasana because you you were asking me what is the buddha sasana in your question of asking you know once you want spotted the mosquito what do you do the answer is sambuddha sasana sabba papa sakaranam kusala supasampada sachitta paryodapana etam buddhana sasana merit has a huge role to play here that is why it's important that we engage in merits you don't need merits after you've completely realized because really you can't do merits after that merits doesn't happen the deed will happen merits don't happen there'll only be meritorious deeds but not the meritorious power behind the deeds i'm going back and forth right but don't worry hang in there i'm going back and forth i i admit that it's like you know right now i'm talking about grade 2 lesson then i talk about grade 10 lesson then i talk about university lesson then come back to grade 5 lesson right hang in there you'll all, you'll get it don't worry i can see some of your faces going oh what's he talking about it's okay it's quite all right i was like that but once you hear bits and pieces of all this you know you you i i really want you to start piecing them together that helps to grow your faculty of wisdom so i'm really giving you an exercise without telling you that i'm giving you one well i just did <laughs> your ability to piece things together is an important part of this that is you analyzing it that is part of the bhagavato virtue so i'm deliberately actually giving you bits and pieces from here and there because i want you to be able to draw the references draw the lines connect the dots okay and if you are attentive you can do that but if you only tune in and out from time to time then you can't so remain tuned in throughout the sermon you know what i mean right yes after breakfast <laughs> but do try do try do try do try okay do try so where were we Was it? Nibbana? Truth? Merits. Merits. Thank you. Merits. Merits has a huge part to play. 
The reason merits have such a huge part to play is because there is no you and I who's doing this. It is simply merits doing its job. Yesterday, I was uh, doing some walking meditation on the uh, the promenade, or what I call the valley malu. Okay, um, and we have a we have a light that has a motion detector on it up in the valley malu. And as I was walking up and down, it would turn on when it spotted me, and then it would turn off as I walked past. And I come back again; it turns on again. And I walk past and turns off again. And it comes and turns on again. Once you got it, you can tell me, then I can stop, okay? <laughs> it turns on again. And then it comes back and turns off again. <laughs> got it? Thank you. I just wanted to make sure you understood. <laughs> they say repetition is good <laughs> until it gets laborious. So, so I was doing this. What was I doing? I was walking there with a turn on again. And walk away and turn off. <laughs> <laughs> and then a thought just occurred to me. The thought that occurred to me occurred to me was I remembered a time when I was younger, or maybe let's say younger here, not necessarily younger here, but younger here. I mean, that was what last week. <laughs> okay. So I remember a time when you know, things used to happen and I would feel that I was special when they happened. I'll give you an example. I mean, this is one, but I'll give you another example. Let's say um, someone's trying to open a bottle. There's a lid. It's pretty tight. You're trying to open a bottle, right? So someone's really putting all the effort they can and trying to do it. And you can see this person try- attempting to do this. But it's not opening. What are you generally inclined to do and say at this time? Let me, try. Let me try, I said. Let me try. Let me try. Now, let's say it opened when you tried. Hmm? When, you op- when you try and it opens, right? Now, honest to heart, I want you to answer this question. Don't you feel special? Don't you feel that it was you who was able to open that? There's something special about you that, may, that meant that you could open the bottle. We find ourselves doing, the, doing this all the time. Whenever someone tries to do something, let me, let me do it. Let, let me have a go. Uh, I'll try. Now, I, I really need you to understand this the right way because there is, you know, there, there is some validity in this. Okay? So it's like if you try to fly a bird with wings is going to look at you and go, let me try it. Okay? And the bird is successful. Because, you know, birds of flight, right? They can fly. So, so there is such a thing that there are some things that some people can do and some things that other people cannot do. But it's not, it's not because they are special. It's simply because That is a vipaka. That is the way it's meant to be. That is the way it's supposed to be. That is the way it's constructed. That is the process. It has the factors that allow it flight. 
That is why a bird can fly, not because it feels that I am special and I can fly. That feeling of this, I am special, that is the thing that we are trying to identify here because that is the mosquito. So as I was walking up and down, I was looking at the light and go, oh, look at that. It's responding to me. But no, it wasn't. It wasn't responding to me because if you chucked a, sto- a rock or a stone there, the light would still come on. It's pretty sensitive, that one. It would still come on. And it doesn't have to be me. But when I'm the only one there and I'm walking up and down, you get this feeling like, ah, so it's responding to me. You need to catch this when it happens. When you're trying to turn the ignition of your car, right? Someone, let's say the wife is trying to do that. She's trying to turn on the car, try once, try again. What does a good husband generally feel he can can do at this point? Come on, come on, come on. Can't even start the car. Right? So... You feel that there is something special about you that can get the car to start, but you know clearly that the only thing you can do is also just turn the key. And just imagine if the car did start when you did it. Now, how would you feel at that point? See? I'm special and the car would start for me. Well, who do you think? You know, Knight Rider? The car doesn't respond to you. The car doesn't respond to you. You're not Michael Knight. And this is not Kit. Right? It's not like the car responds to you. The car responds to a process. Because the car is a process. Ignition is a process. And provided the factors, the causes are lined up in the right configuration, it will work. But from time to time, you will feel that you're someone special, doing someone spe- something special, you're capable of something special. I want you to get out of that mindset. For that, you have to first be conscious when it happens. That's why the four-step approach. Catch it first. Be cognizant of this. Be aware that this is going on. Awareness is a very, very, very important part of Buddhist practice. You need to be aware of what's going on. So this awareness is not the mundane awareness of, uh, you know, the birds are chirping, the sun is rising, it's raining, the trees are blowing in the wind. That is not the awareness I'm talking about here. That is a very mundane awareness. It's not bad. You you need to be aware of, of your surroundings so that you get into all sorts of problems. But I'm talking about an awareness where you're aware of what's going on here and you catch it. When, what's, when something's not right. It's like when your car makes a noise. You're aware of that. And you know something's wrong, needs fixing. Yeah, That kind of awareness is very important. The summer awareness. Not summer. These are not the English words. right? I'm referring to the Pali words. Awareness of what ignorance and attachment are doing. You need to be aware of them. That awareness is where all this starts. Where the practice starts, where the pratipada, this, this practice starts, you need to be aware. You need to be able to catch it. This is mindful awareness. Mindful of what? Not mindful. It's mindful. Being mindful about ignorance and attachment and what it's capable of, what it's doing to you. That awareness is very important. That is based in wisdom. I think so, yeah. I, I think uh, that and then some, madam. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. No, absolutely. Yeah, I was thinking the same. Thank you. Great minds, huh? So, <laughs> I, I was thinking along the same lines. 
but I'm, I'm, I'm close, but I'm not there yet. Because samadhi to me means something a lot more than what I'm just saying right now. I mean, I, I, I say the word panya as wisdom. I, we think we understand panya. That is the lack of panya, <laughs> thinking that we understand panya. If you want to know what wisdom is, go and ask the source. <laughs> go and ask the oracle. <laughs> then he'll tell you what wisdom is. Our understanding of everything is just so, it's so limited. But that's okay. You know, we don't need to understand everything in every detail. We don't need that. To do what we need to do, we just need to understand to, to some extent. That's all. That's all. We're fine with that. We're happy with that. So being mindful means having the Dhamma always running in your mind. So I suppose that is where the good lady comes from with this, this meaning of Samadhi there. You know, Samaya, again, it's an English a singular term. Samaya is religion or philosophy. And to be drawn to the Samaya, you'll have heard the expression, Ratadaya Samaya. Sorry, I'm using a bit of singular today in the sermon. Didn't intend to, but I'm, hopefully you can to give you, a, you know, an understanding of what this means. Country, race, and religion. These are things that are important. You know, anyone who's patriotic will, will, will care a lot about it. I'm not saying I'm a patriotic person. I'm saying, you know, these are terms that are used out there. Yeah, and there are plenty of songs and you know, various things to talk about Ratadaya Samaya. But Samaya is religion. So Samaya is where this meaning of Samadhi comes from. Meaning, essentially, what, we, what they're saying is keeping your mind tuned to the Dhamma. Always tuned to the Dhamma. In other words, reflecting on everything. This analysis part we talked about a moment ago, reflecting on everything that happens around you through the lens of Dhamma. That, is, that would be a description of what Samadhi is. So what Guru Hamdra was saying is, if you begin to lose the ability to look at things through Dhamma, what would happen then? How would I know that it's, I'm, I'm losing that ability? Hmm? Smoke. Smoke. That's not a verb. I didn't ask you to smoke, okay? <laughs> I'm talking about the smoke of the fire. Yeah? So when you know there's smoke, when you can see the smoke, when you can spot the smoke, now you know there's a fire, a light. So that's how I can catch them. So I'm asking you now to try as much as possible to live in Samadhi. This is not about a physical expression of anything. So uh, this is not an ask to sit down under the Bodhi tree or sit down at home or, you know, sit, sit in meditative practice. That is not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about your mind should be constantly tuned in to the Dhamma so that everything you see, you see through the lens of Dhamma. It's, it's like, you know, my glasses. I can choose to either have them on or have them off, Right? For as long as I have them on, I can see clearly. When I take them off, then I can't see things clearly. That would be the, one of the best analogies I can offer you. So having them on is being in a state of samadhi. That is what samadhi is. Always on. Always on means always tuned in. Always seeing things clearly. Take them off and I can't see clearly. I'll go bump into things because I won't know what is what. 
I don't. I won't know right what the right, you know what is right, what is wrong. I won't. I won't be able to see things clearly. So have that samadhi on always. Have your glasses on all the time. Not wear them on your head. Not have them in your pocket. Not leave them on the dashboard. Have them on. You can have lots of pairs of glasses at home. What good is it to you if it's not on your head? Isn't that right? So you have a you have a shelf full of glasses or spectacles. Hmm? You have a cupboard full of them. You go to the opticians every other week and he prescribes a new pair of glasses. You bring them home and put it in your drawer. What good is it to you? Well, you come to this optician every week, don't you? Huh? And you get a, a fresh pair of glasses. If you simply wear them on your head or put them into the case, right? Just in case it gets dirty. <laughs> huh? <laughs> or put it in the drawer. Or leave it on the dashboard as you get out of the car. Or maybe even leave them here. And then we'll have to ring you and say you left your glasses. Huh? What good is that? That's of no use. Because the, 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 opt- the optometrist or the optician they gives you your glasses so you can wear them and you can see where you're going. That is samadhi. And once you start looking at the world through samadhi, now you begin to see things insightfully, which is wisdom. You see insightfully meaning, you, 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 you get sight of what's inside. That's what I can, how I can really express it. That's how I understand the word insight. You get sight of what's inside. You get to, you know, we talked about the Bhagava, right? Open things up, analytical view, and then see the sung, See the sun? Therefore, you begin to now work on the ma. Right? <sighs> you getting this? <laughs> okay. This practice is namotasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. That's what I'm saying. You know, these words, are, they're not, it's not just a prayer and an anthem. It's not a prayer and an anthem. It's something much, much, much more and profound than that. Every time we chant those words, it is a meditation that we do. It is a reflection that we do on our purpose. The Buddha was not someone who asked for veneration or worship or respect because he realized, you know, I, have, I am not a person who is there to respect them. It was he who realized this in the first place. So why would he ask for anyone's respect? He did not ask for that. But if none of this makes sense, then respect the Buddha. Respect who you think the Buddha is because that's still meritorious. That meritorious, de- those meritorious deeds and the meritorious power that comes out of that will help you get to the understanding that I'm talking to you about. You shouldn't, you shouldn't bypass that, that road. That would be very dangerous, very precarious. If you bypass that, so you go from being a bad person to try and becoming a great person, bypassing the good person, doesn't work. Then you're simply polishing, there's a word I don't want to use. Starts with a T, ends with a D. It's called polishing one of those things. <laughs> I don't want to use that word. So you shouldn't polish uh, that. Uh, excreta. Okay? Yeah. So you shouldn't polish one of those things because then, you know, on the outside it looks wonderful. Look, it's, it's shining, glistening. But on the inside, you know, it's just dirt. There's no good doing that. 
So th- this is why I say this is a practice. This practice should be fulfilled one step at a time. That's why respecting your parents is where we should start this. Respecting your elders is where we should start it. This is why we talk about this quite a lot. That's why Guru Swami Nwaza goes on about this, you know, the virtues and the suddhagati and so on. Being a white man. White man? What's wrong with being a black man? That's not the white man we are talking about here. White in virtue. Not dark. White in virtue. White in practice. White in your approach to other people. This is important. Being a good, decent human being on the inside. This is where it all starts. It paves the path to get into this realization. Until such time, Namotasa Bhagavata Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa. Yes, we are worshipping the Buddha. The Buddha that lived two and a half thousand years ago. He lived uh, 45 years of his practice service to the sasana and at eight years he passed away. That Buddha. Fine. Start there. But I'm saying this is where you need to get to. And maybe there's more. I can only talk to you about the remit that I have been able to understand as yet. Beyond this, there'll be more. Because remember, I'm not the Buddha. This is not the Buddha giving you a talk. So this talk will not be comprehensive in any way. It'll talk to you. It'll contain the journey that I have come on and how far I've gotten thus far. So if I talk to you tomorrow, I'll tell you more about it. Talk to you in a week's time, I'll tell you even more about it. Talk to you in a year's time, I'll tell you even more about it. Talk to me in another 50 years' time, you'll be talking to a dead body. I won't be here to talk to you about it, 50 years' time. So if you're still around 50 years' time, oh boy, good luck to you. <laughs> no, no, you should be here. 50 years' time, you should be here, right? You'll be here, won't you? 50 years' time? Yeah. You can be here, okay? Sit down and talk to your loved ones. Talk to your friends and your family. Help them. Right, let me go through some of these questions and see if I can get you some answers to them. Um, so, yeah. Once you, once you have identified the mosquito, how do you eradicate it? What is the process or path for it? All starts with this mindful awareness. Being aware that this is going on. So that's when you have spotted the mosquito. So the question is, once you have spotted the mosquito, so now I'm going to assume then that you have caught it. Now what do you do about it? You apply that? Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's your path, right? So the first thing that I recommend you do is recognize that this is not you. Recognize that this is simply a visitor, a defiling visitor. It's not here to stay and it won't be with you forever, which is good news. Because in that reflection, you're also partly switching on this analytical view, this analytical approach of cause and effect. Because if it were not for causes, then it would be there forever. It is because something is causative, something is based in causes, can you You know, can it be temporary? Anything that is temporary is always based in causes, right? All things are transient, all things are temporary because all things are based in causes. So if you know then, uh, let's take an example, okay? Let's take an example of uh, you're feeling disappointed about something. Say someone invited you. Or maybe say you were hoping of receiving an invitation to a party 
friend's birthday party, you were hoping you were going to get an invitation to it. And the day is looming and you know, you're hanging around the guy hoping, you yeah, know, he's going to say, he's now going to invite me, he's going to invite me today. Doesn't happen. And then the following day, you know, you start passing hints. Special day coming, isn't it? <laughs> In the hope that you get invited. Like, no. Nothing is like falling on deaf ears. Right? You know, it doesn't seem to be invited. And then, so it's the day of the birthday, your friend's birthday, and still no invitation. So then uh, you think, right, this is not happening. And you feel dejected. You feel neglected. Right? You feel, what's the point? And I thought he would invite me to his birthday. And you feel really disappointed. Now, this is a perfect opportunity for you to practice the Dhamma. You can make a party of it at home. Can't you? Yeah, so, you know, forget about the birthday party. You can be home and do your own party. So how do we do this then? Right, now you've identified. If you only see, if you only see that it was your friend not inviting you that caused this, you haven't spotted the mosquito. All of this starts with first being able to point the finger in your direction. You have to, have to, have to, have. This is a must. This is the most critical step of all of this. For as long as you find yourself complaining about someone else or something else, you haven't even started it. You're not going anywhere until you've done that. It has to start with reflection on What's going on here? You have to realize that the problem is all here, 100% of it. If I'm disappointed, if I'm, de- if I'm feeling dejected, if I'm feeling anxious, nervous, angry, whatever, the problem is always here. Start with that. Now, if you've gotten to that stage, yes, the problem is here. You know, partly there, but I'll deal with you later. The problem is here. <laughs> that, that won't work. I say half and half, you know. <laughs> that won't work. You have to completely... Fully admit the problem is here. Right. Once you've understood that, next. And the third step was, is it a physical problem? Is it a mental problem? Right? We have we've gone past that stage. Now we know that this is a mental problem. The mind is simply an informer. The mind's job is to inform. It's a messenger. You've heard the expression, don't shoot the messenger. Yeah, The mind is simply a messenger. Its purpose is simply to inform what's going on. But you realize that the mind seems to be doing something more than that. It was not the mind's job to feel irritated, annoyed, disappointed, to feel sad. Why is the mind doing that? That was not the part the mind has to play. So something's wrong here. To come back to the analogy we've been using about the mosquito, you know, your, your skin is, is, is pretty smooth and it's, it's flat, right? So if you can feel a bump on your skin, now you know that something's not right. Likewise, your mind is simply here to inform. If you feel there are bumps on this mind, what do I mean by this? The mind has gone into a state of agitation into a state of nervousness, anxiety, pain, disappointment. First, I want you to catch that the mind 
is doing something it's not supposed to be doing. If you are um, air traffic controller, if you're an air, air traffic controller and you see the flight path of an aircraft, okay, so say it's supposed to take off from Perth and then land in Colombo, right? And you, you, you chart the, 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 the path of your flight, right? And you see it's starting to go towards Tokyo. <laughs> Something's not right. Yeah, exactly. Either someone's fallen asleep at the wheel, <laughs> or chances are the aircraft has been kidnapped. Right? So now the alarm bells start going off. Some, you know, I, th I think they're in trouble, so we need to do something about it. Whenever you feel that the mind is doing something it's not, not supposed to be doing, now the alarm bells need to start going off. You need to do something about this. It has been kidnapped, or rather hijacked, would be the better word for that context. The, the aircraft has been hijacked, your mind has been hijacked. When you realize that your mind has been hijacked, now what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Save it, right? Yeah, you want to save it. You want to save the mind from the hijackers. Or oh, it's been pirated. Pirates. Now you want to save it. So to save the flight from the hijackers, you've got to get hold of the hijackers and get them out. That's what you need to do. Nothing to do with the mind. You don't need to change the mind or transform the mind. No, this is simply the business you have now is, is with the hijackers because it is they who have taken the flight off route and now it's, it's going to its destruction. So now your job is to identify these hijackers. Through your understanding of the Dhamma, you know that these hijackers are always ignorance and attachment. That is the Sammaditi. Until you have, until you'd listened to the Dhamma, you had no understanding that it was ignorance and attachment. You always thought that the problem was outside. I mean, let's be honest. Right? Growing up in school, at the workplace, before you listened to the Dhamma, when did you ever think that the problem was with you? If you thought that the problem was with you, why did you shout at people? Hmm? I challenge you, I dare you to answer that question. If you thought the problem was you, why did you shout at other people? Why did you ask other people, why do you make me angry? You thought the problem was outside. You thought other people made you angry. And the other people annoyed you. So clearly, until and unless you realize, understand the Dhamma, there is no way you're going to see that the problem is on, in, in, on the inside. So now you've identified the hijackers, ignorance and attachment. It's not just enough to know, these, you know, these are two words, ignorance and attachment. No, that is not what I'm talking about. You need, to, you need to reflect on what's, what they are really doing to you on the inside. Let's look at what attachment does to you. We took the example of, being, of not being invited to a party. Find out what you're attached to. Start with that. Find out what you're attached to. If it's if your disappointment is about not being invited to a party, then what are you attached to? What do you think you're attached to? Yeah, to be invited to the party, right? That is what you're attached to. You want to be invited to the party. This is why we talked about wanting. You want to be invited to the party. 
that is what's not happening right now so therefore you feel disappointed why do you want to be invited to the party is the next question see look at this your paths are now completely different to what it used to be you used to ask the question why was i not invited to the party yes or no that's the question you used to ask how come when you know uh, annie got invited and jenny got invited right and freddy got invited how come poor me i didn't get invited i've always been there for her in the difficult of stuff times i've always been there for her. how come i never got invited you asked the question why did i not get invited that was a question you used to ask now that is not the question to ask now the question to ask is why do i feel i need to be invited different question altogether isn't it why do i feel i need to be invited why is it important to me that i am invited because because of what yes because you feel that being invited is what is pleasurable this is pleasurable for you yeah okay so this is pleasurable we talked about nichcha sukhata this feeling of pleasure this feeling of essence right this feeling of joy being invited to a party is a pleasurable thing it's a good thing it's a fun thing so therefore being invited to a party is what i need and you thought that is your source of happiness now at this point you can go one of two ways depending on how how much you understand the dhamma we talked about the two story house yeah we gave the analogy of the two story house don't comment on my art two story house and in fact there is a question um no i'll come to that later if you by this point spotted that you like or want to be invited to the party you've seen the top floor okay you've now spotted the top floor you're now on the on the top floor you haven't come to the bottom floor yet you're up there here i wanted to be invited to the party that is where this problem is if i if i didn't want to be invited to the party then i wouldn't have had this problem that's a good start and it's it's effective then you think about see attachment is what's causing this problem so you already started this attachment is what's causing the problem if i didn't have that attachment then i wouldn't be suffering like this right so attachment here to to this attachment to the the invitation has only really caused me suffering it's not me not being invited that has caused me suffering it's my attachment to being invited that has caused me suffering yeah so you know from the moment that you hoped you were being you would be invited you were you lived, lived in fear yes or no yeah so if the if the party was a week from today then you you live in fear you know might they might they not might they might they not what if and how can i face my other friends if i don't get invited what will they think right so this this is all living in fear and now fear has transformed into 
grief because you're not invited to the party and you, you re finally realize it's not going to happen. So now fear has turned to grief. You were never free of fear nor grief for as long as you wanted to be invited to the party. So you see, this is what you want. When you see what you want as the problem, you've seen the top floor. Does that make sense? When you see what you want being the problem, not the what you want, but the wanting, okay? It's not the object you want, but wanting itself, right? When you see the wanting has been the problem, you've seen the top floor. So you can try your... You can try working on that. Because for some of you, that's where you will be at this point. And that's okay. It's also effective. You will you realize that wanting is only causing me suffering. So... And that, that realization will, will, will help you to reduce the, that wanting in your mind. There's also the bottom floor. There's also the bottom floor. This bottom floor does not deal with the wanting to be invited. Because this bottom floor is more about who wants to be invited? Who is this that wishes to be invited? It's because you have an answer to this, you have an answer to this. This top floor cannot stand on its own. It has to stand on the bottom floor. There's an answer to a question here, which warrants an answer to this question. If you've come down to the bottom floor, now you can start asking yourself the question, who wishes to be invited? This question should not have an answer. Did you get that? Okay, no, it's fine, it's fine. The question, who wishes, who wishes to be invited to the party, should not have an answer. Because it is not a valid question. It's not a valid question. If such a question gets you, gets you an answer, you can't stop yourself from going to the top floor. Because the moment there is someone then that someone has some things. There we talked about belonging. Yeah, In our previous talks, we talked about belonging. To belong, you have to be someone, right? First, something or someone belongs to me. Here we talked about this sense of belonging, you realize is the problem. Right? This is the, the top floor. I wanted to be invited to the party. Wanting is the problem. If I didn't want it, then there wouldn't have been this problem. Now we are saying, we're not talking about the wanting. We are talking about the I. I want. These are the two floors of this building. I want. Not want as in W-O-N-T. Want as in W-A-N-T. I want something. I Want. Here's the self. But you shouldn't be able to get an answer to that question. Who wants is not a valid question. Because there is no who. There. But you can't stop yourself from feeling an answer to that question. You sense an answer to that question. The moment you start uh, answering, some, answering this question, if an answer comes to this, to this question in mind, you are feeling, you are feeling a self. 
You are experiencing a self. But such a self does not exist. This is simply an illusion. But once you have this illusion, now there are other things that will be associated with that illusion. It's like if you remember baby Natasha. At the moment the mother thought that she had a baby, now the baby had to be taken to a school. She had to be given a bath. She had to be fed. She had to be clothed. She had to be, you know, played with. She needed toys and so on. So, see, <clears throat> baby, food, baby, toys, baby, friends, baby, school, baby, hobbies, baby, nice things to eat, places to go, and so on. It's only because you have the baby do you now have these problems up here. I'll explain it, don't worry. Let's take that analogy for a second. If this is your baby, now, once you have a baby, once you have a child, you have lots of things that you need to provide to that child. You need to feed it, you need to wash it, you need to dress it, you need to look after its education, friends, and so on. And if it was food, for instance, the baby likes to eat Farley's rusks. If you can't find it, now the baby's going to cry. So this is what the baby wants. But what if the baby didn't exist at all? Then no wants, right? You have things you want has all of it. The sentence I just said has all of it. You have things you want. You can't ask the question, what want? Can you? What do want? Can you ask a question? What do want? Hmm? Complete that sentence. What do? What do you want? So if there's no you, then from there on, there are no more questions around this you. There's no what do you want, what do you don't want, what do you like, what don't you like. You get me? So, it is because you have this bottom floor, this top floor can exist. So we are talking about not being invited to a party and you are feeling disappointed. Your initial anal analysis of this problem was, I wanted to be invited to the party, that was the problem. So if I didn't want it, then there wouldn't have been a problem. This is okay until the next thing you want comes along. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know. Until the next thing comes along, this is okay. Because now you don't want the party, but what if you want, uh, you know, someone to ring you, someone to give you a call, someone to go out with? Right? Okay, if they're not inviting me to the party, then I'll go, I'll go to the disco with a friend. I'll go, to the, I'll go to a restaurant and have something. I'll be by myself. That's fine. I'll listen to some music. Watch TV. Again, there are other things you'll want. Because for as long as there is this I, you can't stop there being wantings. Wantings will always exist for as long as you exist. For as long as there's the self, there's always going to be things that you will want to belong to you. We're talking about this, this concept of separation, right? The moment you feel the self, 
the moment you feel the self, your objective of wanting to separate has already happened. But remember, rather understand than remember, separation is simply an illusion. When something is an illusion, you will always have to keep feeding it. You'll always have to keep nurturing it and nourishing it because it's, it's, not, it's not the real deal. It's like, a, a, you know, say, a, um, what do you call them? Uh, say a hologram. If you've seen a hologram, you know that this is a projection, right? There will be a hologram projector. It will always keep projecting it. At any moment, if the projection stops, then at that moment, the hologram disappears. Meaning, if something does not really exist, to give the impression that it exists is a constant activity. You can't stop it for a moment. At that moment, it's going to disappear and it won't be there anymore. You have to constantly keep feeding it. It's like, a, let's all, I'll take another example of, a, say, a fountain. Yeah, See, a fountain is not something that really exists. It is not a fixed object, is it? A fountain will only exist for as long as the motor is running. So therefore, the motor has to constantly keep pushing the water up. If you switch off the motor, then that in itself will be the end of the fountain. So really, a fountain is something that continuously has to be kept manifested. Another example would be a rainbow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about a rainbow, for instance. You know, a rainbow is not something that exists as it's not a fixed object. It's only for as long as water refracts light that falls on it. It does it continuously. If it stops for a moment, then that will be the end of the rainbow. It's not like the, the rainbow is going, you know, if it stops refraction right now, rainbow is going to disappear in about two minutes. That's not how it works. It's a constant manifestation, right? So anything that does not exist as an entity, anything that does not exist as an entity has to be kept manifested. It is a constant exercise. It's a constant effort that needs to be put into that. And the self is the same. Yeah. Yeah, because it does not, yeah, so the water has to keep pushing, right? The, the, the drops in front of it, and that is what manifests as a river. So, this process of manifestation has to happen in this mind constantly. Because the self does not exist. So, therefore, this illusion, or if you like, this hologram of a self, has to constantly be kept alive. And for that, we know that these thought moments, they arise and pass away at such a rapid rate. And therefore, for this illusion to be there, each thought moment has to go into this insanity mode and keep the self up and alive. So that's happening constantly in this mind. That is what gives you this constant feeling of a self. But remember, in our four-step approach, once you identified that this is a problem with the mind, the next step for you to do was, was to ask the mind to mind its own business. It is not the mind's business to do this, just as much as it is not the skin's business to give you bumps. That was the mosquito that did that. Meaning, something's gone wrong. It was not the flight's job 
to fly to Tokyo if it was on its way from Perth to, to Colombo. So if it's going off route, now something's wrong with it. Likewise, if the mind feels rejection, if the mind feels dejection, if the mind feels disappointment, annoyance, irritation, frustration, something's wrong. Now, I know you know that something's wrong, but what I'm saying is, let's find out exactly what is wrong. If you don't understand exactly what is wrong, you can't do anything about it. You've lived your life thinking that there was something wrong, but that something was outside. That is why, to this day, you're still trying to fix that problem. It's as Guru Handra says, you know, when you have a leaking roof, right, you put a pot under it. Hmm? Yeah, without fixing the roof. Without fixing the roof, you put a pot under it, you can, you know, just keep replacing it. Once it fills to the brim, take it out, turn it, you know, throw, it, throw the water out, bring it back in again. Or you can, you can you know, create a, a better system to do that. Maybe you can automate it. Maybe you can hire some staff to, you know, and buy yourself lots of pots so you can keep, you know, there, there won't be a single moment where there is no pot under the, under, the, under the drip. So that you can keep on doing, but it doesn't fix the roof, does it? But if you fix the roof, then now you're fixing it at source. The same principles apply here. You know that pointing your finger outside never fixed the problem and that is why even to this day you're still, you still have such problems. You still have anxieties. You still have irritations. You still have annoyances. If you're still to this day saying, my children make me angry, you're still taking the wrong approach. It is very unposh to do that. It is very unposh. It is very... Forgive the word, but it's very stupid to, to do that. Intelligent people don't take that approach. Wise people don't take that approach. Foolish people take that approach. What approach? Problem is on the outside. So please, 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 never catch yourself trying to pinpoint the problem outside. Because if you do so, if you catch yourself doing that, you are being a fool at that moment in time. I'm not labeling you as a fool. I'm not trying to offend or insult anyone. What I'm saying is you should be offending yourself at that point. You should be thinking to yourself, how many times in my life have I pointed the finger outward? Has the problem ever been fixed? No. So why am I doing it again? Whereas if you spotted the problem within yourself, taken it down the route that we've just talked about, right? Take it up here to the first floor initially, right? Wanting is the problem, right? Then try and deal with the wanting. I want this, I want that, I want the other thing. For as long as wanting exists, then fear and grief will continue to exist, right? You can't do anything about that, right? Once, you, if you, once you've identified that, next you can move down to the, to the ground floor and then ask, who is it that wants? You, this is a step-by-step -step approach, by the way, okay? So that's what I'm saying. You know, to get here was an achievement, because now you can ask the next question. Okay, wanting, I can see it's a problem, but who wants? We had to get here to get here. Now we are here, and now we are asking the question, who wants? This is a question that should not have an answer. If you have an answer to this question, which means you have a house. In this house, you have fear, you have grief, and you have all the 11 great fires. This is a burning house. If you are in this house, it will burn down. 
to you know what do you do if your house is burning you run out you run outside to free yourself so for as long as you're in this house you can't stop it now catch the times when you find yourself doing it be mindfully aware so that you know when it's happening like i said the other you know yesterday i was walking up and down and saw the light and thought to myself all right so when i walk here the light comes on when i walk away the light goes off now what's wrong with that in that thinking pattern i i am walking and the light is or the, the sensor is picking up my presence i'm not talking about simply the physical body here okay i think you get that i'm talking about the sense that there's a special me here to which this light responds or the sensor responds that's why i gave the example of you know try someone tries to open a bottle they can't you try it opens and you feel you're special oh you know someone tries to maybe uh, switch on a light or something and you know it's uh, maybe a bit high up and they try and do it and say no i'll do it i'll do it and you try and do it and then you know when it works you think that you're special whenever you feel special apply this because the truth is you are not special you're not special but and other times i'll be telling you you are special haven't i told you that before i have yeah and now i'm telling you you're not special i mean it in two different dimensions you're special in one way you're very unspecial in another way you're all the same we are all the same everything is the same everything is all you know one uniform existence that's all it is everything all of us all of this that we need to we need to be cognizant of this and and that mindful awareness is going to help us to catch this when it happens uh, let's take a few more examples so that you can really start applying this you know this is this needs to be your homework folks this needs to be what you do when you leave this place if you simply leave here having learned some some new concepts and you think oh a good sermon and you walk away and come back next week and you've not practiced it you're not getting anywhere so that practice is important so let's take a few examples so you know how you can practice let's say <clears throat> um okay let's say you feel offended hmm there are times in life where you feel offended maybe it's because someone accuses you of something you haven't done they're very difficult to bear and they and someone accuses you of something you haven't done i mean it's okay if you've done it right but if you haven't done it that's terrible sometimes you've done 100 bad things but there's one thing that you haven't done if someone accuses you of that it's a terrible feeling isn't it now let's take the four step approach mindful awareness will allow you to catch it first this catching it incorporates stop pointing the finger outside point the finger inside because generally speaking you could even take them to court right from a mundane perspective you could even take them to court and file a lawsuit and say you know they are accusing me of things that i haven't done you can you can ask for compensation <laughs> you can ask for compensation right or libel charges now you can ask for that but in the dharma adhikaran which is the court of dhamma 
it is the wrong judgment. That is the Supreme Court. You can do that. But in the court of Dhamma, if you pointed your finger outwards, you haven't spotted the mosquito. There is no freedom for you. So someone accuses you of something you haven't done. Right, children? You'll have this lots of times, right? Maybe sometimes parents will think you've done something wrong when you haven't actually done it. And, and you'll feel that you need to fight, fight back, retaliate, right? Prove your innocence. Actually, whenever you try to prove your innocence, it's not your innocence you're proving. You're proving your foolishness. That is what you're proving. Again, this is not a two-dimensional story, okay? So in the world you live outside, right? If, if you need to prove your innocence, then you do what you have to do. Don't ask me what to do then. Right? If, you know, if someone comes and bumps into you as you're driving and, and they come and accuse you, you know, you did that, right? Should you prove your innocence? I don't know. Don't ask me. I'm not talking about how you live your world out there. I'm talking about Nibbana. Okay? Even if you have to take them to court, you should still start asking the question for yourself. Did I feel angry? Did I feel that I was, I was being accused of something? This is a wholly internal affair. It's not about the way you conduct yourself on the outside. This is not about that. Even if you have to take them to court, even if you have to ask them for compensation, inside you should be... It's, there's a different battle that's going on, which seems to be at odds with what you're doing on the outside. And I need you to be able to perceive the difference between the two. Okay? Right. So, someone's accused you of something you haven't done, and now you're feeling, you're feeling resentful about that. Okay. If you spotted the mosquito, meaning you've pointed the finger towards you, you caught jati. Right. Now, let's deal with it. First of all, this is a defiling visitor. It's not who you are. Don't allow it to define you. This is simply a momentary, a temporary fluctuation of the peace that is due in your mind. This is a momentary fluctuation of that. So first acknowledge that. Meaning now you know that this is not here to stay. You just need to, you know, stay calm until, until the stormy weather has passed. But it's not going to do that on its own. You have to do that. So what some people will choose to do is go and sleep. Because when they sleep, then, you know, they'll forget to think about it. That's one, one approach that some people take. You know, when they're feeling down, when they're feeling angry, why, why do people comfort eat? Think about it for a second. You know, comfort eating, it's a, it's a done practice, isn't it? Comfort eating. It does not answer the problem. When you comfort eat, what you're doing is you stop thinking about the problem and think about something else. Thinking about something else doesn't make the problem go away. It just temporarily plasters over the problem to deal with another day. That's all it does. Some people will say, well, just leave it to time and time will sort it out. Well, you know, time will sort it out, yes. Time will give you more time to think about it. <laughs> That's all that will happen. So when, when people say time will sort it out, it simply means, yeah, you won't solve the problem today, solve it tomorrow. That's how time so, sorts it out. Because no matter what, folks, you have to deal with all of these problems to see the, to see the light at the end of the tunnel. You have to deal with them. There's no running away from this nonsense. You've got yourselves into it and you're going to have to get yourself out of it. Right? No one did this to you. You did it to yourself, and now you have to get yourself out of it. There's no easy path. As I say, you know, there's no escalator to success. You have to take the stairs. Right? So, 
it will require you to apply the Dhamma. So now you have pointed the finger at yourself. Then you know that we are talking about a mental problem, not a physical problem, right? So we can quickly go past that one. Now you ask the mind, are you minding your own business? Ask the mind this question, are you minding your own business? The mind came into being not. So the, the, the flight didn't take off to be hijacked. Likewise, the mind didn't come into being to be annoyed or irritated or frustrated. The mind only came into being to serve one purpose, that is to inform. Remember the five things that the mind is supposed to do. Receive, register, recognize, respond and perceive. These are the five things that the mind is supposed to do. If it's doing anything more than that, that is not the mind's job. Meaning, something's gone wrong. If something else other than this is happening, then something has gone wrong. And if something's gone wrong, you know, that's like your engine making a funny noise. Now you've got to take it to the garage. You won't just drive it off. You have to take it to the garage. Just like that, you have to take your mind to the garage. Taking the mind to the garage is samadhi. Application of Dhamma. Put your glasses on and start looking at the problem. This is easier said than done, folks. I will I will agree. I'll say that before you do. This is easier said than done. But it's only through doing this can you liberate yourselves. Just because something's difficult to do, if you don't do it, I'm not saying you don't do it. I'm just saying I'm, I'm encouraging you to, 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 con- to contemplate on this and to, and to make sure you catch yourself and you actually do these things when problems arise. Yeah? So you, you know why, I'm, why, I'm, why I keep going on about this, right? About the practice and why you have to do it. Right? It's not that I assume that you don't do it. I'm just saying it has to be done. So if you're doing it, keep on doing it. If you're not doing it, then start doing it. <coughs> Application, practice. As I say, you know, practice makes perfect. It is only through practice that you can free yourself. Knowledge put into action is power. Knowledge itself is not power. Knowledge itself doesn't give you anything. You have to apply it. So, now you caught the problem. Ask yourself, is that something I want? If you are being falsely accused and it's hurting you, what is it that you want? Not to be accused. Yeah. You don't like it. You don't like it when someone accuses you of false, false accusations, meaning you like when people don't accuse you for things you haven't done. There's always the flip side of what you don't like. You need to be able to catch that. Whenever you don't like something, there's something that you do like. That is the thing that causes the problem, not the, not the thing that you don't like. Because there is no such thing as don't like causes suffering. It's not the disliking of something that causes suffering. It's the liking of something that causes suffering. So whenever you catch yourself not liking something, disliking something, always take a moment to figure out what is it that you do like then. It will generally be the opposite of that and catch that. If you don't like the daytime, that means you like the nighttime. If you don't like the nighttime, means you like the daytime. Catch the one that you like. Because it's liking is what is what what wanting does. Attachment is what, what that does to you. So now that you've spotted that, now you know, if I didn't want it, if I didn't like it, if I didn't you know, feel this desire for it, then this problem wouldn't exist. 
Okay, now you reflect on that. So you work on attachment. You, you work on wanting. This wanting is the cause of suffering. Reflection of that helps you to recognize that this wanting has to be dealt with. Okay? And ask yourself, why do you want it? You want it because you think that is pleasurable, that is essenceful, and that is joyful. Is it pleasure, joy, and essence you're getting right now? When you have been falsely accused, is that what you're getting right now? Of course not. So this is the opposite of what you wanted. Then therefore, what I want cannot be that. What I want, what I, what I think is pleasurable, essenceful and joyful cannot be what I, think this, what I think this is. So that makes itself evident that your perspective on these things are flawed. So that is, this, that is the top floor. Next, you can work down to the bottom floor. Who is this that does not like false accusations? Now you've come to a question we should not have an answer. But it does. So what is the problem? You have an answer to the problem, to that question. That is the problem. You have an answer to this. Now here you have the mosquito. This is the mosquito. This is not the mosquito. This is the mosquito. Now you find the mosquito. Question is, what do you do now? This mosquito, this jati, this suffering, this jati, is a product, is a product of ignorance. You feel this presence, the self, which is now being accused. Because you see, if you take out the, if you take out the self, now they are simply accusations. See, just because, now, you know, there are some schools that will teach you to think along these lines. And I, I don't necessarily subscribe to them, but I'll share them with you, you know, just in the interest of uh, full disclosure. So you know, you know everything that's going on. Some schools will teach you, if someone's accusing you of something and you know you haven't done it, Stop thinking that it's an accusation and think that they're praising you. Okay? Or, or think that you know, if someone's shouting at you, don't think they're shouting at you. Think that they're, they're, you know, they're singing praises about you. I don't subscribe to that. Exactly. Because if you don't like what's really happening, think that the opposite is happening. I mean, a lot of positive thinkers, they'll, they'll, they'll give you some of this spiel. They'll tell you, if, if people say you can't do something, think that what they're saying is you can do something. Different kettle of fish, but I'm just saying it's something like that. Okay, so if someone says you're ugly, think that what they're saying is you're beautiful. I feel this is running away from the problem. Well, that's what I said the other day. I think, you know, that way, if you, when one day when your mother dies, you can think, no, she's not dead. She's just lying down. She's having a sleep. Then you'd have to keep the body at home. Because she's only sleeping, she's not dead. Until it starts rotting, and then you think she's not rotting, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know, maybe she's cooking something. <laughs> you know, you just keep fooling yourself. That's running away from the problem. That's like the mosquitoes biting you, but you think, you know, that's not a mosquito bite. That's not the mosquito biting, you know, that's just the mosquitoes playing, playing games with me or whatever. You know, th th this is nonsense. I don't subscribe to that. I, I, th I feel, you know, take the bull by its horns. 
and deal with it. The reason you don't like something is because you do like something, which is what we talked about here. And now, when once we are here, if you feel this sense of self, which is not something that the mind is supposed to do, because the mind's job was simply to inform, it was simply to be a messenger, the mind has now been hijacked. Right? Because a self cannot exist. Why can't a self not exist? What is the feeling of self? Separation. Separation and, yeah, absolutely, separation and the feeling of a continued existence. There is nothing in this world that has forever continued, right? Even the chittas on which the self manifests arise and pass away. If the chittas themselves arise and pass away, how can a sense of continued existence prevail? The sense does. But that you know, a, a true self cannot exist. If the platform is shaky, then how can you, on that shaky platform, build a building that stands upright without shaking? Isn't that right? So these are some of the things that you need to reflect on when you sense this self. So I was saying, let's take take a few examples. Um, we took the example of uh, you know, invited to a party. You know, even something as simple as while you're walking. So you see, you know, when you when you do walking meditation, for instance, you don't necessarily have to think about something that you know didn't go right or something, you know, something you got disappointed by, someone made you angry. You don't necessarily have to think about that. Ask yourself the question, this question, who's walking? That's a very effective meditation. Who's walking? If you have an answer to this question. Now, that is the meditative object that you need to be working on. That is the karma stan you need to be working on. Because if you have a question, if you have an answer to the question, who is walking? If you have an answer to that question, something's wrong. It's like baby Natasha's mother. If you went and asked her, where is your baby? Huh? Or if you asked her, how old is your baby? Or if you asked her, which school does your baby go to? If the mother answers that question, what do you think about that? There's a problem. Because she shouldn't be able to answer that question, right? How do you know when she's healed? Hmm? So she's, in our story, she has gone insane, right? She lost her child at birth and, uh, um, and, and now she went, into insa- she went insane and now she thinks that she has a child which, which is simply a block of wood, right? So you, you take her to the psychiatrist, you start uh, treating her and after a while you want to test how the treatment is going. What's the most effective test you have? <laughs> ask, ask, the, ask the mother, where's the baby? If she still answers that question, she says, yeah, in the bedroom. Shall I go and get her? Oh, no, it's fine, it's fine. I'll come back later. Hmm? You ask in, a, in two weeks' time, where's the baby? She says, what baby? Ah, now we're getting somewhere. Where's the baby? I don't have a baby. But I used to think that I had one. Because I was insane. Now you know she's fully recovered. So you see, when you're walking, if you have an answer to the question, who is walking? What does that tell you? You're insane. You're insane. That question should not have an answer. Because walking does not require a a self. Walking requires a process. The process 
of walking is there, but not a person or an entity or an individual who's walking. This sense of individualization, this, this sense of an individual is an illusion. That is what you need to understand. Why does this sense of this this sense of an individual come into being? Because of our need to separate. That's why we, we sense this this need to separate this 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 feeling because that is what we talk about here, right? Here we were talking about the wanting for lots of different things like wanting for rice, wanting for curry, wanting for cheesecake, wanting for pudding, wanting for you know a cup of tea, orange juice, whatever, right? This is that here wanting to separate. But these wantings are also there to help and support this process. This fortifies this process. It helps, this one helps to strengthen this process. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. See, when you, when you say something belongs to you, okay, let's take this pen for instance. If you say that this pen belongs to you, two things have happened. Actually, three things have happened. One, you're talking about you, meaning you, the self here has manifested. So already you are in existence. Two, there's a pen here. So you see a pen, a separate entity. Now, please remember, I'm not saying that a pen doesn't exist. As in, this is simply a manifestation. This doesn't stop here. This is not a fixed pen. This is simply a manifestation on a process of constant change. But at this moment in time, you can witness a pen. Really, what, what you're witnessing is not a pen. What you're witnessing is the form that you choose to call a pen. These are names that we have, we have given. This, this object itself does not wish to be a pen. It has no agenda to be a pen. Somewhere along this transformation, because we find this configuration convenient, this is a configuration of Rupa, Hard stuff, you know, flowy stuff, heat, and so on. Apotejo vayo patavi. This configuration of that we choose to call a pen. Maybe before it came into this this configuration, we didn't choose to call it anything because we had no use for it. That's why we had no use for it. You know, we only give things to name. Like, pardon. We only give names to things that we find useful, right? If you have no use for them, we don't give them names. You know, like there are stars in the galaxy which have not yet been discovered. You haven't, people haven't given them names yet. Because they're of no use to us. You, what you don't know, you have no use for. The thing, the reason that everything around us has names is because we have some use for it. Now you might ask me, Swaminasa, but do we actually use everything around us like to do stuff? No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that use. I'm use, I'm talking about the use of separation. That use. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about this use. Everything around us, when we see them as separate individual entities, that is useful to us. It is useful to the mind that wishes to separate. Yeah? So you see, this is a what leaf? This is a beetle leaf. And you can see these, what do you call them? Veins. 
Yeah. See, they have a name. These things have a name. They're called veins. Because it allows you to separate. So because things, everything must serve a purpose for, their, for them to exist. These veins, I'm not, you know, remember this is not a biology lesson. I'm not talking about what, what use the veins are to a leaf. That's not what I'm talking about. I think you understand what I mean. This is a much more profound concept here. I'm talking about the fact that these things have names because they are of use to a mind that wishes to separate. They are of use to a mind that, has, that, that are used to separate. See, these things have names, don't they? That's got a name, hasn't it? Yeah. That's got a name. That's got a name. Because these things help us to separate. The mind only invents stuff that it can use to separate. It's like crutches. Right? Someone who is unable to walk by himself will use crutches. Yeah? There are aids that help you to walk. The mind will con continuously invent stuff into this world, into this universe that helps it to achieve its purpose of separation. Absolutely, yeah. That's what it does. So the, you see, now think about how much, you know, we talk about advances in human invention, discoveries, technology and so on, right? We talk about even advances in food. Right? Think about how many different varieties of food we have now. If it's to sustain the human body, do we need so many different varieties? No. You know, otherwise, how did our, our grandparents and great-great-great-grandparents live? They didn't have so many different types of food as we do today. Today, there are so many different cuisines. There are so many different you know, varieties, so many different types, so many different uh, arrangements. So much variety because the mind continuously tries to feed itself this need of separation. Because it's not enough to separate it like that. If it's done that, now it needs to do that again. And then... You know, now you have these three pieces. After a while, this is not enough. Now you have to separate it again. Now that's not enough. Now it has separated again. See, now how many things have we invented in this world? <laughs> these things didn't exist before, did it? It was all one before I started separating them. But now you see, previously there was one object. Now I have one, two, three, four, five. And when that's not enough, what am I going to do? I can keep on separating, see? Every time I separate, I create something, I invent something new into this world. So why do you think there are so many things in this world? So many inventions. We'll say, people will say, you know, it's, it's for comfort. It's, it's so that people can live a more comfortable life. Well, is that why we have so many different types of food? That's why we have so many different colors? That's why we have so many different patterns? No, you can't say that. You know, inventing a machine, okay, I understand that. Right? If you can't climb upstairs, then invent a lift that can take you up. You know, it'll save you physical discomfort. But what about mental? Why, why feed the mind? There's no need for that. But there is, isn't there? That is that need of separation. That is the need for separation. That need, the mind will always try to feed. Because the mind is vested in this enterprise 
of wanting to separate. It wanted to separate so bad that it got to a point where you started feeling, your mind started feeling like individuals. That's how bad it got. Today, you are there and the things that belong to you are there. And the things that belong to you are simply things that bring you an abundance of grief and fear. So this is, this is the point I want to get to. You need to reflect on why separation is bad. It's not simply enough for us to say, you know, separation is going on, separation is going on there, separation is going on here. That's not enough. Because only once you start to see the pain and anguish that comes out of this object of separation, will you stop doing that. Until you see Dukkha, you're not going to change your habits or behaviors. You need to see the, the, the you know, you need to see the, the consequences, the ramifications of this. You need to realize what's going, you know, the problem here. Otherwise, not, you're not going to change anything. It's like the bottle at the back of the room, as I've been saying quite a few times in the sermons. So what? If you don't see the so what, nothing's going to change. So the problem with this separation is, the problem with separation is, when you separate, that separation is not real. It is simply an illusion in your mind. And although the illusion, the, although the, the, the separation is, although the, separa- all the, your pardon, although the separation is an illusion, the fear and grief that comes out of that feels so real. Doesn't it? You know, when you're, when you're afraid about something, do you feel that it's an illusion? Hmm? Just take a dream, for instance. When you have a nightmare, do you know it's just a dream? If you did, would that be a nightmare? No. See how real it is? See how real it is? An illusion is capable of giving you so much. It makes it feel so real. When you're feeling afraid about something, when you feel the grief of having lost someone you love or something you like, right? doesn't that feel so heavy on your heart? You know, are those tears fake when you cry about something? Hmm? When you when you mourn the, a, a, a loved one, are those fake tears? No, you can't stop yourself from crying. In the Buddha's words, you know, he gives, he says, you know, we have cried so much that the amount of tears that we have shed, every every sentient being on behalf of the same mother, not not two mothers, every sentient being, the amount of tears it has shed shed on behalf of the same mother exceeds all the amount of water in all the oceans. That is how far we have come in this journey in Sansar. It's such a long journey. So think about your mother in this birth, right? For that same mother, for that same mother, let's say 500 births ago she was again your mother, and then 1,000 births ago again she was your mother, and then, you know, it was 2,560,000 births ago she was again your mother. Okay? Like that, if you count all the times that she has been your mother and not other individuals, she has been your mother, the amount of tears that you have shed on her behalf exceeds all the water in all the oceans. Now imagine how much we have suffered in fear and in grief 
all because of this illusion, all because of the illusion of self. So it's not enough, you know, it's not enough for us to just realize that this is an illusion and, and say, okay, it's an illusion, so what? There is a huge so what behind it. There's a big problem that comes out of it. So what do you do? Recognize and realize that this separation is simply fake. It, this separation never really happened. That is what you do with the mosquito. The answer you've given on here, sir, talks quite a bit about this, this flow. But once you start coming to this realm, now you need to figure, you need, you need to convince yourself. This is, this is where the conviction comes in. Your practice is that. This is Yoniso Manasikara. As I said, you know, as you walk down the street, ask yourself, who's walking? When you're driving your car, ask yourself, who's driving? As you're eating your food, you know, today when you go and take your arms in the afternoon, right? Ask yourself, who's eating? You shouldn't have an answer to that question, but you know you do. Let's all be honest. We know we do. If you have an answer to this question, now you have a problem. You have a disease. You have an ailment. I start working on it. Let your hand do the feeding the stomach. Let your mind do treating the mind. Now ask the mind, mind, are you minding your own business? Are you supposed to be feeling a self or have you just been hijacked? You have been hijacked. Ignorance has hijacked you. That realization chases out the bad guys. Remember, ignorance can only be there for as long as you don't spot it. The best example or the best analogy I can give you is a, is a you know, you're in the dark room and you have a torch with you and I ask you, show me the darkness and I give you a torch. How can you do that? You can't, right? Because the moment you switch on the light, then darkness is gone. Ignorance is like that. Ignorance can only prevail for as long as you don't know ignorance is there. Ignorance feeds ignorance. The moment you recognize ignorance, it is no longer ignorance. That's all you need to do. That's why once, once you have arrived at Samaditi, the remainder just works on its own. It's like, it's like a downstream. Or it's like a stream. Once you get into the water, it'll take you. That's why they call a stream enterer. Right? The Sotapan is called a stream enterer. Once you enter the stream, once you dip into the stream, the stream takes you. Once you come to the realization that this is what's going on, once you realize what's happening here, once you realize that it is sung or ignorance and attachment are the causative factors of this suffering, which is the Bhagavato. Right? Once you realize that, then you start working on Araham. I forgot to mention that in the first few minutes. Namotasa Bhagavato, Arahato. This ara are like the the spokes. This, you know the 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 wheel of a cycle bicycle, right? They are the spokes. These spokes keep all energy focused on one point, on the center, right? So for as long as this energy keeps keeps focused on on one point, on one center. That is the wheel itself. I mean, after all, what is a what is a bicycle wheel? It is bits of, it's it's a it's a circular piece of metal, and in the center you have um, what do you call it? Uh, what could you call it? Let's call it the center, 
right? So I'll, I'll draw it out here. It's easier to explain that way, right? That's the center, right? And you have the spokes. Okay. These are called. This is the other. I'll write in singular. These are the spokes. These are the spokes. It is these spokes that keep this wheel in shape. Because there's a, a centrifugal force, yeah? Right? These spokes, they, they converge on this central point, right? And this central point, equidistant from this center point, what you have, this path is called a wheel. Right? And, and it is these spokes that keep this wheel in good shape. Yeah? So this is simple physics. If you want to stop this wheel, what you need to do is to do this. To deal with these spokes. See, let's say you did all that and now you just have these two left. That will be enough to still keep this part in shape. Perhaps the other bits will be crooked, right? but this part will still be in shape. So, as you start to work on the spokes to get rid of them, right? this is called, this is working on your Nibbana. Because after you've gotten to this point, now, what, what keeps this wheel in shape? Nothing. So the moment you take out the last spoke, this wheel no longer exists. That, that's, an, that's a metaphor. It's a, it's a simile. Right? So what is araha? Or what is arahatu? It's the process of doing this. You have a center and you have the spokes that keep this wheel in its shape and therefore the wheel in motion. The wheel that is in motion is the wheel that produces suffering. Or others could think of it as the wheel of sansara. This is the wheel that keeps suffering in motion. We can also think of it as the dependent origination process. It keeps suffering in motion. Yeah? So, to stop suffering, all you need to do is to work on the spokes. You've got to start with listening to the Dhamma, understanding, comprehending, and once you have realized that this is what's going on, then from there on, Sankar, Vinyan, Nam Rupa, Salayatana, Pasa, Vedana, Tanha, Upadana, Bhava, and ultimately, once you've done all that, Jati is gone. Jati is this, is the wheel itself. So once that wheel itself is gone, now you no longer have the mechanism of suffering working. That is arahatu. That's why ara hung. Hung is to wear wear something off. That is what hung means. Now I'm, I'm borrowing singular terms here to explain this, but because there are no direct equivalents of it in English. But that is the meaning of arahatu. Like again, what I'm trying to say here is it is not a person that we are referring to here. This is a process. It has deeper and more profound meaning than this. this is a process. This is a practice. This practice is what takes you to Buddha. 
not you walk into buddha you become buddha what practice makes you become buddha namotas bhagavato arahato samma you do that you become buddha so that is that is what we do every day that is why we start these sermons with that paying homage see paying homage is that is my home what is my home buddha so that is my homage that is my home my home is nibbana so i want to go back home to go back home this is a process this is the path and i want to practice that it's that practice of the path that's going to take you home and therefore homage now if you look up in the dictionary they might give you a different meaning but this is how i interpret it that is paying homage remember it's not this buddha it is the buddha that is going to shape within each and every one of you you are all buddha aspirants each and every one of you you're all buddha aspirants even this ant it's also a buddha aspirant at some point it will get onto that path you were all there at one point but now today you are much 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 closer on your path to becoming a buddha so that is that affirmation that's that resolve that you make at the start of a sermon and then once once you've made that affirmation you see it's kind of like when you start the day right when you start the day positive thinkers will tell you you know start the day with a good affirmation right today i'm going to achieve something yeah today i'm going to do this i'm going to do that you make your list of goals right you set your your you set your plans and you you start the day on a positive note we start our sermons reminding ourselves why we are here what is our purpose we are here because we want to go home what is home home is nibbana home is buddha buddhahood and how do we do that namotassa bhagavato arahato sangma do that and you become buddha so those the buddhas are all within you all i'm trying to help you is to get them out get them out of you to find it you know this is like the rust that is on the iron all i'm helping you to do is to rub the rust off get the rust off and and then the iron i don't need to give you that's already with you right so the house is gone now but remember what we had here right this is the wanting and this was the self right so whenever you you come across a problem now as you go for arms right you will see the swami nuhans is going pindapata as well you can practice here you can practice there also ask yourself the question who's coming on pindapata you shouldn't have an answer to that question if you can if you look at me right now and you're asking you try and ask the answer this question who's who's doing the sermon right now you have an answer right that's the problem <laughs> you shouldn't have an answer to that problem technically you shouldn't have an answer to that problem but you do you do because sorry to say this but you're insane <laughs> you think i am doing a sermon you think that this is swami nuhansa he is an entity he is here doing this sermon but the truth is this is simply a flux of vipaka that's what this is it does not have the power to generate this entity this feeling of an entity this feeling of an individual that that you feel is here that none of that is going on you feel you're listening to the sermon and you feel i'm doing the sermon that is the problem if these sermons work out all right then at the end of it you should feel that it was never you who listened to the sermon and it was never i who did the sermons 
That is where we are getting to. Does this all make sense? At least to some extent. You know, I, I practice this Dhamma all week long and I listen to the sermons in English and in Sinhala and so on and then once a week I have to come and try and explain all the things that I practiced in a language which I do not use to practice. Right, so it's an uphill battle but I'm not one I'm going to ever give up. <laughs> I, I, as long as there's there's breath in this body I'll keep on fighting and I need your help, right? So I need you to 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 keep engaged right? and, and, and to help get the best out of me. You can do that. And I know when it happens, right? When, when I'm here and I start pre-speaking, and I, as I say, I never come here with an agenda. Yeah, but when I see the audience, when I see you and I, and I know you're engaged, then, you know, then things start to happen. Magic starts to happen. Right? So some of these examples, you know, were not things I, 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 I had planned for today. They just, you know, given the situation, they just come. That's the way it works. So help me help you is basically what I'm saying. So we have a four-step approach. I want you to use it. It doesn't have to be when you're dealing with a problem. It can simply be when you're doing stuff, right? When you're in the shower, ask yourself, who's, who's bathing? Who's showering? When you're cooking, ask yourself, who's cooking? Before you get to that stage, if you're still in the, in the, in the stage above that, you know, if you're maybe, maybe making, a, uh, making a pudding, right? And you can ask yourself, why do I like this pudding? And ask yourself, is it not fear and grief that this wanting gives me? Right? Is it simply not fear and grief that this wanting gives me? Once you've tackled that, once you've gotten the hang of it, now start going to the ground floor and now ask the question, who is it that wants this pudding? You will have an answer to that question. That is the problem. There is never a who that wants it. You simply feel it. It's an illusion. I gave you the analogy once a, uh, a while back about a magician, right? Remember that? If I perform magic tricks here and you are my audience, you will see me, if you don't know magic, right? If you don't know magic, you will have a magical feeling about the magic, won't you? There won't be any logic to how I'm doing it. You'll be, you'll be awestruck. You'll be sat there with open mouths wondering how the hell is he doing that? Right? Whereas, if you knew how I was performing it, now you will not be awestruck. You will know exactly what's going on. And you will know that this is just mind games. This is just you know, an illusion of the eye. Yeah? You get what I mean? Yeah, you, you know that, right? Once you understand what's going on here, once you understand the self, you will recognize that this is simply an illusion. You will be like a magician who performs the magic tricks, not a member of the audience. Not a member of the audience. And an Arahant is, 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 is a magician. He knows that the mind continues to perform the separation of Rupa Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana. Right? But inside, he knows that this is simply the mind manifesting itself. This separation does not truly exist. What we are trying to do is we, as a, you know, once you become a Sotapanna, you realize that there is a difference between knowing the magic and seeing the magic. You realize there's a difference. You have seen it for the first time. And then from there on, there are times when you still see the magic. And you go, wow. But there are times when you reflect on it, you know the magic. 
But, you know, those, those times will switch from time to time. When you are in this practice of Yonisa Manasikara, now you are seeing, you, are, you, you know the magic. But when you are out of Yonisa Manasikara, now you see the magic. You, are, you, you jump from the audience to the stage. So this keeps switching and flipping back and forth. What you want to do is to continue your practice and keep on practicing until you, are, you become a member of the stage and not a member of the audience. That is what we do with our practice. And how do we do that practice? Just by doing it. The more times you do it, the easier and the better you become at it. So therefore, you do not need until we have a meditation program to come here and start meditating. That's why I'm saying your meditation can happen as and when you live your lives. It can happen in the kitchen. It can happen on the, you know, as you're, as you're, as you're walk, walking somewhere. It can happen while you're doing your work. Because you're seeing the magic all the time, right? You've got, you haven't got an agenda for that. You haven't got a set time and a place for that. You're seeing the magic all the time. So what I'm saying is, seeing the logic, practice that. So you can see that all the time. It is simply through your practice you have become so good at seeing the magic. It is through practice. What I'm saying is through practice you can now reverse that process and actually start seeing the logic behind the magic that happens on stage. But this will only come through practice. And I need you to practice that. So when you are when you know when you're say when you're at the workplace, right, and you're maybe you're typing an email. I know that you can't stop typing the email and completely focus on, you know, you know, that you'll start typing in your email. Right? That's not what I'm saying. At least, you know, have a reminder somewhere, maybe on your maybe put a sticker, you know, like you had the what you what are you waiting for stickers you had on your monitors and so on, right? You can put a reminder for yourself. And in that moment you can ask yourself, who's typing this email? To whom? These questions you will have answers to. The moment you come to your senses, you realize, ah, oh, wait a second, these are not questions I should have answers to, but I do. In that moment, you'll come back to your senses. In that moment, Yoniso Manasikara will happen. And in that moment, this jati will suppress. The jati will suppress for that moment. And you go back to doing your work. Maybe after a while, you'll come to your senses again. And again, ask yourself, you know, this, those are meditation moments. You can have more and more of them throughout the day. Try and have as many meditative moments as possible. I know because you, you, know, you can't stop everything you do and you can come here and you know, meditate all day long. I know you can't do that. But what I'm saying is create the time and space where you can do as much of it as possible. You're in the lives that you are already. There's little sometimes that you may be able to do to get out of that. Wherever you are, while you're doing it, come to your senses. Once you start the first step of your four-step approach, the remainder will happen. Because now you are familiar with it and you know, you know it. Get this far if you can. Get this far if you can. Whatever is comfortable for you. However far you can go, go that far. If you can, if you can identify that this is wanting and wanting is what's giving me this grief, this, this, this uh, uncomfortable feeling, then you've gotten halfway there. If you can go a step further, then come, come down to the bottom floor and ask yourself the question, who wants? Belonging will only happen for as long as you sense a self. Wanting will only happen for as long as I want. If there's no I, there's no wanting. I meant to say one point and then I sidetracked. Whenever we want something, right, whenever we have this sense of belonging, 
this sense of belonging itself is an effort to separate. Okay? Let me elaborate on that a little bit more. When we'll continue next week, but I want to leave you something to think about over the course of the next week. We talk about separation. We talk about how you feel as a separate individual, right? This is all, this is all going on, right? Once, we, once you start feeling yourself, now you'll start thinking about things that belong to you. I'll take the simple example of, of the duster. The reason that we have this sense of belonging is our need to continue to separate. I'll, I haven't finished explanation, so hold on. Because I know you'll have questions now. Hang in there. The first separation happens where? Here. Right? The mind arises and passes away, arises and passes away, arises and passes away. And the mind goes insane because it wants to sense this separation and the mind begins to feel that it's a separate entity. Right? That's the first stage. Second, it's n that's not enough. <laughs> that's not enough. Because the more you can separate, the better. So now what it will try and do is it will now try and give these things labels, possessions. It will go into the, into the, into the, into, into making possessions. You, you know how we have possessive nouns in the English language? Yeah? Possessive nouns, like, so, my, yeah? See, again, this is, the need for that is separation. When there is I, now I am separate from all of you, but this isn't yet. So therefore, I go one step further and say, this is mine. Now this is separate again from all the other dusters in this world. See how far we go? Right? Or I'll say, this is yours. Again, that is a separation. Because whenever there is something yours, there is also something mine. Absolutely, yeah. You know, there's me, there's you, there's mine, and there's yours. Huh? And so, you know, now you can begin to realize, you know, parents, think, because, you know, I know one of the most challenging things that you will have is your, your attachment to your children. Right? Start, start to think about some of these things in this light. You have a child, your son, your daughter, Right? First, you began to feel that you are a separate entity. I'm a separate individual. I'm separate from everyone else. But that wasn't enough. Now you see a daughter, you see a child, you see a, you see a young person and you go, she is my daughter. So from all the daughters in this world, you separate her and you say, this is my daughter. Now you'll ask me another question. Isn't she Swami answer? That's when I have to say, we are now speaking on two dimensions. If you have to still ask me the question, but isn't she Swami Nuansa? Then we are talking <laughs> two different languages. She is and she isn't. She is in the second dimension. She isn't in the third dimension. Right? So, I can't force you to see in the third dimension. It is something that will happen naturally. Once you begin to realize what I'm talking about, you know, continue to reflect on some of these things, you will begin to realize at one point, ah, so there is a third dimension, isn't there? I see, I see, I see. That I see, I see, I see moment will happen when your IC start working. <laughs> okay? But until then, 
have faith. Okay, I can't always be lying about this. Right? So, so have some faith, but continue your, your practice, continue to reflect. This separation that we do, saying this is my daughter, this is my son, because we separate them from the, you know, from every other daughter. It's like when we do sets at school, remember? I was told to stop the sermon and quarter two. So this is the last thing I'll say and I'll stop it after that. Remember when we drew sets at school? These are called Venn diagrams. Lovely name that, isn't it? Hmm? Venn diagrams. Venn corner diagrams. Right? So you had, so, you know, these are all the individuals, really all the Vipaka Skandhas in this world. These are all the aggregates, right? These are all mind and body dualities. Composition of mind and bodies. That's all they are, okay? But each of these, as we know, there's a mind in here. And the mind can get what? What jacked? Hijacked, yes. The mind can get hijacked. Each of these minds, when they get hijacked, now they become their own set. That's what happens. They become their own set. I'm telling you, this is what has happened to you. One day you're going to become an Arahan. And what's going to happen is this set is going to disappear. You will still be a separate Vipaka aggregate. It's not that once you become an Arahat, you all of a sudden go and you know, be part of this one. No, that will happen after your Parnibbana. Then this Vipaka joins with this Vipaka and it will all be just one, one massive you know, bowl of energy. We all come from the same source. But until then, until your Paranibbana, this Vipaka Skanda will be a different aggregate, which is Skanda, will be a separate aggregate to this. There will be, you know, two Arahans, you will be able to look at them, you know, this is one Arahan, this is the other Arahan. You know, one eating doesn't fill the, fill, satiate the hunger of the other. Okay? That will happen. But until then, you will feel this. This is what each of you are feeling right now. I'm trying to get it onto a picture. Each of you feel this way. This is all. This is what you all feel right now. You are all individuals. You are, you live in your own set. But that's not enough. This is you. This is you. This is a boy. It happened to be that this vipaka, this body, came out of this body. Okay? This body came out of this body. So now, conventionally we say this is mother and this is child. Okay? Mother, son or daughter. But that was a wholly physical thing, wasn't it? That was a physical thing. Because it's a physical body that came, one came out of the other. There was nothing mental about it. It's not a part of your mind that went in to become your child's mind. Agreed? Yeah, it's not your mind, and you know, it's, it's, you know, in in biology, we learn how you know when the the zygote, right, the the, the embryo and the and the and, and the sperm, they come together. No, sorry, not the embryo, the uh, the egg, the egg and the sperm cell, they come together. They they form the embryo. Yes, yes. Keep me straight in case I've forgotten my biology, and then they start to split, right? They start to split, right? So, and then what happens is two. From from within one body, these two sets of chromosomes, right? They start to split, and then now you get another physical body. 
that physical body has nothing to do with your mental body. That is a separate mind all on its own. That's why sometimes you will be very, very, very different to your children. You'll think, you know, your, the thinking patterns will be worlds apart. Although you might share the same facial features, you might sh- share physical features, maybe the color of your skin, maybe the color of your hair, right? There'll be lots of facial features. The way you think can be worlds apart. But you might say, but my child and I, we have similar hobbies, we have similar things we like to do. Ah, but that is something else, that is nurture. You grew up in the same environment, so therefore that mind was influenced by this mind. That It was indoctrinated a certain way. That is the reason for that. Not that part of your mind went into become part of their mind. So it's not like how DNA works. This is simply different. So, therefore, this boy, this child, now you feel that this is your child. So what happens? You draw another set. This happens. At some point in the child's life, it begins to understand that this is my mother. Your child didn't know that right from the start. It had to learn that this was my mother. At that point, what happens? They also draw another circle around this. These are all how sets form. Right? After a while, the child grows up and you know, it comes of age and now she wants to get married. Now, she sees another one of these. Right? And then she says, right, now we are, we are a couple. Uh, we are a couple. What does the mother do at that point? <laughs> huh? She starts to draw another set, right? All ah, right, you like you like him, do you know? All ah, right, okay, then let's draw another set. Oh, of course, now you know how this goes, where it goes from here, right? After a while, these two they live together, right? And then another one, one of these comes out of her, right? And now what she'll do is this will happen, this will happen, and now they'll say we are a family. Yeah? And now what the mother will say? Oh, we are all one big family. <laughs> and then the child will begin to think well, at one point, oh, okay, she's my mother, he's my father, and she's my grandmother. These are all separations. None of these things really exist. <laughs> they don't really exist. These are all illusions of the mind. Of course. In the, one moment, sir, one moment. In, you know, the moment I answer this question, to your, your question, madam, someone will ask me, I don't know if that is what you're going to ask, sir. Someone will ask me, but then didn't the Buddha say killing your mother and father are heinous sins? So uh, doesn't mother and father exist? Yes, they do. And not just in a two-dimensional world. They exist, but that is a Vipaka connection. I'm not talking about the Vipaka connection. I'm talking about how you feel, the way you perceive. That perception of this is a a very separate entity to this entity, that separation, that is all an illusion. And that is all based on the feeling of self that you feel on the inside. Your question, sir? It's very simple. Yeah. Uh, Relative realities Mm -hmm. and absolute reality. Yeah. Absolutely. So for the whole audience, I just want them to know what a relative reality yeah. is. We go out there in the world, and these are relative realities. realities. But what you are trying to tell us is absolute realities. Absolute realities. Thank you very much. And, and you know, the Buddha separates these two out, right? There are absolute truths, and there are relative truths, right? Or conventional truths. What we don't understand is how these conventional truths come about. 
why we feel that they're so real. That is the story that I'm trying to explain to you. Right? We feel these connections with individuals. We feel connections with our pets, right? with our families, enemies, friends, right? people wage wars. If, if understanding this conventional reality was so simple, then you know, people can solve their problems just like that. But it's not so easy because they don't know where it all comes from. They don't know why they feel the way they do. That's guys, we just talked about this last week, right? You feel, you have feelings of lust, you have feelings of anger, you have feelings of greed, you have feelings of, uh, you know, resentment, right? And they tell you, control these feelings, manage those feelings, but they don't teach you how, when, where it all starts. What's the origin? Where's the source? How can you eradicate them? How can you exterminate them once and for all? That they don't teach you. So simply learning, it is good to know that some are absolute truths and some are, you know, conventional or, or relative truths, as the good gentleman mentioned. But why do we feel them? How do we stop ourselves from, from going beyond the absolute and experiencing a relative truth? Now that, to stop that from happening, and the ramifications of that, which is where the fear, the grief and all that comes from, we have to understand this story of this is jati creating this illusionary world around us, this relative world, this conventional world around, around us and making it feel that it is the real thing. That is why I use the metaphor of, of magic. Right? All of this is magic, but not to the magician. This is to someone who observes. Someone in the audience will see and say, oh, okay, all these relationships, they exist. You know, they're good. She's my mother. She's Otherwise, you know, if, if it was so, so simple, the mother should simply be able to stop crying when her mother dies, when, when her child dies. A child should not, you know, simply tell the child, you know, this is just a conventional truth. It's not the real truth. Oh, okay, right, I'm going to stop crying then. It doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen like that because they can't stop themselves from feeling that way. That is because... The temperament of the mind, the mind by, by, by very nature is hijacked. Until you take out the hijackers, it's going to always be like that. That's, that's the name of the game. Right, on that note, I'm going to have to conclude. Otherwise, I'm going to get told off again this week because apparently you didn't have enough time to do the Buddha Puja last week. Am I right? <laughs> the Buddha will be angry with me. And we don't want that now, do we? <laughs> Okay, right. So let's take a moment. Thank you. You've been a fantastic audience today. And uh, we'll continue some of these discussions next week, but I want you to practice, okay? Please use examples in your own life. You are walking into the lab of life, right? Reflect on these things. Whenever you feel that you are present, think about it. When you feel that you have been undermined, think about it. When you feel like you have been belittled, think about it. When you feel that you are superior to everyone else, think about it. When you have lustful thoughts, Think about this. When you have anger, think about it. When you feel greed, think about this. Go to the second floor if you can, or to the, to the first floor. If that doesn't work, go to the ground floor. I'm sorry, if, if that works, take it to the next stage and go to the ground floor. There you'll find answers. It is through practice you can free yourself. All right, let us take a moment then. To transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma, and engaging in very various meritorious deeds today. Let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching, and with immense gratitude let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha, and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, 
which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand, and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer the merits to our Guru Swami Nuhanse as well as all the monks resident at this monastery as well as the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them, and may through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane. May through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transmit we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery to those of you who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. May through the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transmit to our mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employees and employees, and to all those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transform to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhata Sasana. Let us transmit to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may, through the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transmit to our ancestors who have predeceased us, and to all those who have been our families, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara, and to those who helped, supported, and assisted us along the way. Let us transmit to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to, the, to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. May all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe. Rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us transmit to those who have lost their lives in natural calamities, such as the tsunamis, earthquakes, landslides, pandemics, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to them. And may, through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us resolve that may, through the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land, and finally, may, through the power of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an Arahat Nuhanse, an Arahat Theranin Nuhanse, in this very life itself, and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. Members of the Mahasangha will now transfer the blessings to you. Raga <laughs> 